And if you can't accept that and still struggle and do the best you can every day with what you've got, then you're just going to set yourself up for failure. Hey, everybody. This is Nikki Tamburino, also known on Instagram as One Classy Mother Runner. And you're listening to the Maybe Running Will Help podcast, the show that explores the why of running for people who love to run. I found today's guest through his books, Quick Strength for Runners and Smart Marathon Training. But his first book was published in 2008 called My First 100 Marathons. And his latest book is called Ageless Strength. It's no wonder with all this material under his name, Jeff Horowitz and I had a lot to cover. And we get to all of it, having a lot of laughs along the way. Over the next hour, we'll cover training, coaching, and our lifelong friendship with running. This is an episode worth hearing, sharing, and commenting on. So we're excited to have you join the conversation. Now let's get started. Okay. So we were just talking about uh, the weather around here and you're running and you told me you just did what on a treadmill? So I did a, a pre-marathon training run of 23 miles on a, on a treadmill. That that's insane to me. I can't like, even if I have anything over four miles, I have to run like four miles, stop and do like some kind of strength thing, get back on, like to run straight through that is so mentally like exhausting for me. So good for you. That's, a, that's kind of amazing, actually. Well, you know, I guess it's kind of funny. This actually ties in with an event I did years and years ago. I remind you of that. So I've actually done an indoor marathon. It was on a high school track indoors, 200 meters, and it was it was over 200 laps on the track. They would have counters standing trackside that would be assigned to each runner and count the laps. And it sounds crazy, but there's actually a lot of good things associated with that. So, for example, a bathroom is always within reach. You know, your <laughs> aid station is always there. Race day morning, no worries about what the weather might be. You know exactly what the weather is going to be. You have all your gear right there. And what I found is it had the same kind of emotional journey that you get from being outdoors. You start out, you're all excited. Then you get to the middle miles and you have that kind of lull. And then you get excited when you get towards the end and you see that the finish line is actually going to be there for you. So the emotional journey was kind of the same thing. But I will say on the treadmill, yeah, it's a little bit different. But for a winter run, again, you know, being able to run in it in shorts and a t-shirt and knowing your bathroom is right there and your drinks and food are right next to you and we could put up something interesting on the TV. It wasn't as bad as it sounds. It is crazy, but it's yeah. sort of kind of like crazy within how we're all a little crazy as runners. I don't know. That's an extra level of crazy, I think. <laughs> My wife calls it a cry for help, actually. Maybe it is. Maybe I need an intervention. <laughs> so how long was that then for you that you were on there? Uh, forever. Um, <laughs> Somewhere around like four hours. So, and what does that look like? You're watching. What were you watching? So I watched. <laughs> it was a wide range of things. Um, I saw the, the Pinocchio movie that just won an Oscar the other day, and that was fun. I saw um, a documentary about Michelangelo. So kind of these mm -hmm. extremes, a little checking out, mindless, a little deeper dive. But wow. you have to be a little careful to do this. It's actually funny because you have to get something that's engaging, but not too engaging because probably like a lot of runners out there, not all my brain cells are working when I'm on a long run. Right. And I can't really think too deeply. So I need something fun, but not too, you know, 
Yeah, like you don't want like a crime, something you need to follow the details closely and exactly. Figure yeah, I'll, I'll lose the thread. But Pinocchio, yeah, that was that was about right. Okay, you know, so that uh, might work. That's great. That's a great, uh, interesting thing to talk about. Um, just to get started. So, um, before we get into some of the questions I have for you, can you just tell um, everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do um, now? Okay, so. I am um, actually. I realize that I am, I am the punchline to my own joke in a way, because I was trained as an attorney and I worked as an attorney here in Washington D.C. for 20 years, and during that time I parlayed my interest in fitness and running into a career. So about 12 years ago, I quit my work as an attorney and became a full-time personal trainer, coach, um, and athlete. And so for my clients, it's true that Washington DC, there's so many attorneys, even their personal trainers and attorney. So, <laughs> so that's me. Um, but I am a USATF and um, RCA certified coach. I'm a certified uh, personal trainer as well as a certified biking coach and triathlon coach. So I've got the credentials, but also in my own interest, I'm a long distance endurance cyclist as well as marathon and ultra marathoner. So okay. I've been able to meld my own personal interest in fitness and testing your body with my career, which is something that's unusual. And I feel very, very lucky to have been able to do that. Absolutely. So As you have, I'm curious what your journey was getting to where you are. I imagine oh. it's a little similar, maybe. Gosh, we all have a story, don't we? Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah, I was in, I was in accounting for 12 years and uh, talk about happy to be doing this. <laughs> I mean, right. um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think for me, I didn't get into running until I was a little bit older and it was so transformative in my life. I wanted to give that to other people and that's really how I got started. Um, but did you, was your, I guess your path to this, were you running in like high school, college? Were you always an athlete? No, surprisingly. Um, at least not that kind of athlete. I remember like a lot of high school boys, at least where I grew up in, in Queens, New York, you know, we lifted weights. We did that kind of thing. If we went on a run, it would be a three mile run in the local park, which was huge for us. Three miles. Right. Oh my God. That's the is, hardest part. The first three miles. Yes. But that's all we did. We never got to the <laughs> right. fun part that comes later. I never knew that right, it was right, fun right. after those miserable three miles. Right. Um, and that was that was about it. But when I got to law school, it was such a stressful time for me that yeah. I knew I had to do something. And being just a dirt poor law student at the time, I knew I couldn't afford a fancy gym. So I just got a pair of running shoes. And the funny part is, I remember switching from my pair of like regular pro kids to a, a proper pair of running shoes and thinking, God, I hope this was a good investment. Maybe this is the dumbest thing I've done to spend at the time. $75 on running shoes. Oh, oh my geez. God. Yeah. <laughs> but it made a big difference. And I started out with just a run around the block, literally. And I just really enjoyed it. And I would run down the street and back. And then I got out a map and I marked out a course here in DC where I was going to school, crossing the river on one bridge, coming back on another bridge. And I was smitten. And wow. that's how I started in my very first race ever. So I'm in my 20s now at the time, right? right. My very first race ever that it ever run in my life was the Marine Corps Marathon. So, oh man, I still haven't run that. I've heard great things though. Oh, it's a wonderful race. It's my hometown race. I came back to do it this past year, 35 years after that first marathon. Wow. Um, 
So it was a kind of a homecoming for me, of course. Um, but that's where my brain went. I wanted to be challenged in a way that was scary and totally enveloping and would keep my feet to the fire. And I knew that I could, I wouldn't win a 5K and I could certainly cover the distance, but a marathon, okay, that's kind of scary. So right. I needed that kind of challenge. And that was my very first race ever. And it was a gift to me. I realized how much I loved it. And like you, I just really want to share that with people. So your first marathon you loved? Yeah, it was, <laughs> I, well, I, I love my, my marathons the way some people love their, they say they love their kids, right? I love yeah. them all, but in different ways, maybe. Um, okay. You know, you love the hard ones, you love the fun ones, you love the challenging ones, you love the big ones and the small ones. But that first one went so well. And I wow. thought it will always be like this. And of course, you know, it's no. not. <laughs> but the first one, I actually ran a negative split in my, my very first marathon. And all the runners out there, they know how rare that is. I've talked yeah. to elite athletes. I've talked to uh, Olympians. And they say that almost never really happens. No. You know? But somehow, I did this big negative split in my first race. And I thought, oh, this is great. This will always be this good. Um, and it's always been very meaningful to me and very rewarding but i won't say it's always been easy and i haven't always done a negative split and this is something especially i think a lot about as i've aged through running and as i'm a different athlete now than i was you know 35 years ago yeah so uh, how, do you still try to negative split now i do i do you know the the splits are slower than they used to be right but that's still the goal and I talk about how if you have two runners, I tell my clients this, if you have two runners across the finish line at exactly the same time, but one finished dragging himself across the finish line, you know, walking, and the other one, well, she just flew across the finish line, which one would you rather be, even though they had the exact same time? So right. it's a matter of training correctly, of pacing yourself correctly, of being disciplined enough to be able to do that negative split. That's the goal. And of course, you know, we don't always don't always get there, but we aim for that. I mean, I think that's what makes the marathon so like magical is like, you really have to get that feel for your pace and your body. And like, it's uh, if you can think of it kind of like in a curious way, each marathon of being like, how do I get more familiar with my body and like what I need, you know, feel the paces more. And that's what I've really found over. I mean, I've been running marathons for like 12 years. And I think that it just comes with experience. I mean, that's not something that you can necessarily coach yeah, I mean, you can tell them paces and all that stuff, but it really is a matter of like experience and just, you know, continuing to show up and uh, regardless of, you know, one race or another, just like continuing to show up and doing that exploration. So I think that's what's really cool about the marathon. I think that's absolutely right. And all marathon, yeah. all marathoners will tell you that it's really a mature person sport in a way. Yeah. I know we get a lot of increasingly younger athletes who do very well in the marathon, but traditionally, historically, it's the older athletes who really master the race and really understand it. So you get a lot of track athletes who've had great success racing in the 5Ks, even the 10Ks on the track, even milers who move up as they get older. And maybe they lose some of that raw speed, but then they develop that deeper strength, not just physically, but also mentally to understand yeah. the race. And it's it's so interesting to me. I, I teach a, a running class over at George Washington University here in DC. And I tell my runners that, you know, there's no simpler sport in the world Look, you go from here to there as fast as you can. Go. You know, it's very few real rules involved. You don't have to like worry about scoring and judges and all that kind of stuff. Just run as fast as you can, right? 
But within that, there's so many layers and layers and layers to understand what you need to do in preparation and then doing it on the race day. And then as you get older, all those things change. Oh my gosh, you're so right. Yeah, once you think you know what you're doing, <laughs> it totally changes. And then life throws a monkey wrench into your plans, either because right. of injuries or your body responds to different things. And you, you have to refigure all the answers that you came up to those questions. And to me, that's really the great engaging thing, the great intellectual thing about, about long distance running. And yeah. you know, over time, it just gives us all back to you and it teaches you all the things you need to know about discipline and hard work and perseverance and patience. And that's all required in the race. Yeah, and you're right, over and over and over again. Over and you. over and over yeah. again. Yes, every time, every time you do that to prove that to yourself that you can take on this challenge and figure it out. And as I tell my students, if you've got a really great day and it rarely happens where you're well-trained and you're feeling good and you're injury free and the weather's perfect and the course is good and you feel good and you've slept well and you've eaten just the right amount, maybe you'll have that magical race that we all dream of and you will run out there and just run your feet off and do the best you've ever done. And the dream of that, the hope of that, I think is what keeps a lot of us going. Uh, yeah, I would totally agree with that. And I, um, I was talking to somebody the other day and talking about like, I work with, um, and as I'm sure you do, new athletes and then athletes that are a little bit more competitive. And um, of course, like I love all of them, but I love new athletes because they're yes. at that point where they have so much room to grow. And some of us who've been running a long time are fighting for seconds. And right. that's when you really have to figure out your why and like why you're doing this because it it starts out being about, you know, performance and, um, you know, feeling great. And it's such a, you know, great way, you know, build your self-esteem and confidence and all that stuff. But then you get to a point where you're not getting that from the sport anymore. And it turns into something completely different. And if you don't grow with the sport, then unfortunately, a lot of people stop running. That's um, true. Right. Yeah. I, and I see that an awful lot. And you're so right about that with my clients. I've, I've been lucky enough to work with a wide range of people. And I completely agree with you. Although I love all my athletes, I truly do. You know, the ones I've, I've trained trying to, you know, qualify for the Olympic trials, they're already athletes. You know, they're just trying to get better. And so I feel like I'm not going to provide them with a life changing experience. Right. I will try and help them as best I can, but they are on this track. But for a new athlete, especially I, I would say you know older women who maybe grew up in another era where they weren't encouraged really to pursue their physical you know excellence the same way that that so many young girls and, and people are now that for them it's really transformative i think to see how powerful they can be with running and define themselves in ways that they never had before and that to me is really magical to see that change i've i've had yeah. some athletes i remember one woman in particular as we were doing like a 20 mile pre-race training run, she's still telling me, insisting, she's not really a runner. And I told her, Paula, was her name, Paula, I don't know how to break this to you, but you're a runner, you are now. And being at the finish line, and for some of these races where they've competed, to see them cross the finish line is such an emotional moment. Because I think for many of them, up until that point, they still had all these doubts. Yeah. Even within the last mile of the race, they still weren't sure they were there. And then the enormity of what they've accomplished and who they've become hits them. And it's to me as a coach, and, and it sounds like that's the same for you. 
that's just, it makes everything worthwhile and it's an amazing moment to share with them. Yeah, and, and it's funny because um, some athletes are so scared to race and I'm like, that's where the magic is. Like, you yeah. know, they, they but like, even, even if I am not in race condition, race shape, just getting out there in the community, like if people don't know what our community is like, and I know it can be intimidating, right? just to watch the variety of people that are crossing the finish line and um it just can be so inspiring so um i've heard before and i think this is such a good tip like people like if you run into people that are, are afraid to race or have them volunteer at a race yes i was just thinking that yeah. as talking, I was a, oh it's so interesting that you said that as you're saying that i i think i would encourage everybody who has any doubts about their capability to go out and volunteer or at least be at the finish line of a major race and you see these waves of people come across and you will undoubtedly, undoubtedly see yourself reflected and even people who are more challenged than yourself. You know, I'm thinking back yeah. now many years to when uh, Oprah Winfrey ran uh, ran the Marine Corps Marathon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And she opened up the field for so many people because, you know, she, she had to conquer the race on her own. People say, well, she ran with her trainer. He didn't take the steps for her. No, 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 right. And for so many people, I think when they thought, well, if Oprah did it, maybe it is possible. But if you go to any finish line of any race, especially marathon, and you stick around even till the very end and you see all the people there, you, you see that it's a, a superhuman achievement that does not require superhumans, you know? Oh, that's a really good, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. You, you'll be inspired and you'll be like, if they can do it, I can do it for yeah, sure. And that's yeah. absolutely true. And that's a funny thing that I sometimes have to encounter as the kind of athlete that I am. And you probably get this too, that there are many clients who will say, oh, but I'm not you. I can't do this. And I have to tell them, you know, I don't have any special gifts. Honestly, I don't. I'm not, never going to win a race. You know, I, I have a dream of maybe everybody trips somehow as I'm running a race <laughs> and I get sneak around them. But that's never going to happen, right? My only real gift is probably really just stubbornness. I think. <laughs> and I'll just push through. And that is a great gift that I've developed, I think, over time. I think if there's one real transfer value that comes from all this running, it's a belief that if I just keep going, if mm -hmm. I keep going, even when I want to stop, even when people wouldn't blame me for stopping, if I keep going, I'll get to where I want to be. And I know I can do that. And that takes, like you said, experience and knowing yourself and maturity. But that's available to anybody. There's nothing special in that way about me, about you, that anyone else can achieve. No, I agree. And I feel like if somebody were to say, I'd be like, well, I wasn't me then either. Like you grow into this person and that's what it's about. Like, it's funny. Right. like I'm not you. Well, I wasn't me either. That's a great way of so putting now, it. I'm yeah. going to use that. I like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't that guy either, you know, but yeah, here we yeah. are, right? right? I love and that. That's perfect. There's a, um, there's a quote that I saw that I loved. Um, and it was something about, uh, don't set goals so big you achieve them until you grow into the person who can. So it's just about, you know, creating these goals that, you know, you don't have to right now be capable of them, just right. have them out there. And that's like, you know, a target, right? That's where you're going. And right. And I so think because that. That, you had told me that you had, you've run the Boston Marathon. Mm -hmm. um, now, when I first started running, that was that big, crazy goal out there that I never thought I'd be able to achieve. And so one year I had the opportunity to, to run it as a fundraising athlete, which I have complete respect for people who do that. And I took advantage of that and 
raised a lot of money and then went out there and ran the Boston Marathon and had, you know, that experience, knowing that I would never be able to qualify. And I was okay with that because that was a special kind of achievement and I hadn't earned it to be a regular registered runner. And then I did. After, you know, mm-hmm. some time of doing speed work and really committing to it, I qualified. And it was such an amazing experience to have that goal that I never thought I would be able to achieve and to be there and be part of that that celebration. Oh, that's well, amazing. Having those goals, you know, at any point is so important. And, and we touched on earlier, as we get older, you know, some of these goals change, you know, and you have to be able to adapt to that. Otherwise, you don't keep running. And you know people like that who right. they just stop running, you had mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. And to me, that's always kind of sad because this is going to sound not kind in a way. But when I have a new athlete, a new client, I tell them, look, if you're, an inc- if you're incredibly lucky in your life, you'll get old, you'll get decrepit, and you will die. And that's the good scenario, right? We are all going to, you know, start fading at some point, start losing our vitality. And if you can't accept that and still struggle and do the best you can every day with what you've got, then you're just going to set yourself up for failure. It reminds me of uh, a sign I've seen in a couple of the races I've run. You know, you get all these people holding up all these different signs. Every season seems to bring new signs. You go through an election cycle, they're kind of like related things. And there's a sign I, I saw, and probably you've seen it, many other, you know, of your of your listeners have seen it as well, that said, someday you will not be able to do this anymore, but today is not that day. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I just love that. You know, I accept that someday, of course, this will end. Hopefully not for many, many years, but this will end. And I've already gotten slower where I can't go as fast as I used to, but the joy and satisfaction I get from it is still there. And I hope that everyone could still draw that even as their bodies change and and their goals change. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is, and it may be like this for other sports, of course, as a runner, like I think of everything in terms of running, but I think running has that ability to continue to transform you the more that you do it because you go through that transformation at first, you know, it's one thing when you're achieving all these goals, but then you've really had, I mean, trust me, I've been there where I've been like, you know what? I I like, don't know why I do this anymore. It's hard. I'm not getting that, right. but it really makes you reevaluate your personal values and all this thing. So it just continues to transform me as I get older. And as my relationship with running changes, it helps me change. So I, that's, you know, that's yeah. what I love about it. That's so true. And you touch on so many things there. There are levels and levels to what you just said, because we do have a relationship with running. I I mean, think of of running as almost being like a separate person, like running is one of my best friends. So on days when I've had a really hard time where I've gotten very bad news about friends of mine, you know, who um, who've had different disease. I dear, dear friend had passed away from cancer. And I remember when I got the news of of, uh, her diagnosis, I went for a long run and the running was there for me to comfort me when I've been very stressed out. The running helped relax me when I've been happy and enjoying just being alive and moving. Running has shared that with me. And what mm-hmm. I love about running as opposed to so many other sports, this is a lifelong friendship, right? right? If I was a football player, there'll come a day where I can't do it anymore. You know, with mm-hmm. so many sports, you know, especially team sports that require you to be surrounded by all these other people, but running, Running is that buddy that it could always go next door and say, would you go with me right now? And running will always say, yes, you know, I'm there for you, you know? Yeah. And that never leaves you. 
Yeah. And, and to your point, it, it is, it can be so many different things depending on where you are in your life. It can be that spiritual thing when, when you need it to be, it can also be that way that you relieve stress. So it really has so many ways that it can be useful. And I feel like, you know, I can only talk to a runner like this because otherwise people just like roll their eyes. But when you right. really love it, you just are like, yes. you know. Well, you know, it's funny. And, and along those lines, I always say, you know, you and I have been lucky enough to discover running. And hopefully so many of your listeners feel the same way as well, that it's become so meaningful to them in their lives. And I touch people about why we do the marathon. And really, you have to be honest about it. We don't do the marathon for health. In fact, mm-hmm. and I, I, I hesitate saying this. There's some research indicating that long distance racing actually can be a little bit harmful for you. It's very possible. Um, but for so many of us, it's so rewarding and so meaningful in so many ways that it's something we feel compelled to do. But I feel that it's not that running itself is magical. It's that there's this thing we found that gives that to us. Now, if there's something else in everyone's life that gives the same feeling to them, be it you know, painting or gardening or raising children or whatever it is that gives you that joy where where you lose track of time, really. Yeah. You're so yeah. engaged and involved and, and you come out feeling better every time you've done it, then you should pursue that, you know? Right. But everybody should have something in their lives that gives them that feeling. And we're very lucky that what we enjoy actually for the most part is very good for us as opposed to people who get that from drinking or doing something very self-destructive, right? Right, right. I'm going to totally nerd out with you right now because... I mean, running is also a community, right? So it also has that community aspect. So it can be something you do totally like on your own and you can have that part of it. But then you also have this other part where it can be, you know, a community for people who need a community. I've talked to so many addicts where you're speaking of drinking and stuff like that, that um, use running to um, help with their sobriety because it's a supportive community that takes them away, you know, helps them fill their time. And um, it really is, I mean, they say like redemption and like you get all that from the sport. So, oh, um, so I, nice. I could just, yeah, it's so crazy. Um, and then about the, uh, it's so funny that you were talking about how we don't run marathons for our health and you're totally right. Like, and I feel comfortable, only feel comfortable saying this, not because I'm a doctor, but Dr. Lieberman, I talked to him and um, he told me he's like we do not run marathons for our health it's actually not like healthy for because i asked him i was like what exactly does running a marathon do to our body because i've heard like we're dying like what are we doing and he's like we certainly aren't doing it you know for our health um which is and yet it's a celebration of health you know when you cross a finish line you know you feel this incredible sense of accomplishment that what you've achieved physically is so monumental and it really is i've run so many marathons now but every finish line every finish line is amazing to me and just to have that moment but you know i recognize that there there's danger here as well and maybe that's part of the thrill of it also but i have my guardrails and i i try to encourage all my athletes to have that as well where I try to be smart about it. I've got one big rule that I use with all my athletes, which is you have to be smarter than you are brave. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's why we have a coach, though. Right. <laughs> and I need that as well. I need yeah, yeah. moments. And sometimes I even sure. sit myself down and I, I literally ask myself, what would I tell me if I were one of my own athletes? And oh, so, not the same thing at yeah. all. <laughs> well, you, it's, there have been times when it's not what I wanted to hear. And I yeah. would fight myself over it. And I'm like, 
listen to your own advice. Yeah. Like, do not do this. Yeah. But if you're if you're smarter than you are brave, then you know when you have to walk away. So some of my proudest moments are actually when I've had to drop out of the marathon. And you, oh, wow. you probably know, like, you know, when Paula Radcliffe famously dropped out of the London Marathon. Yeah. Those of us who are runners sympathize with her. We felt bad for her. But we also knew absolutely she did the right thing. Yeah. And pro athletes drop out of races all the time because they don't want to just beat themselves to a pulp for nothing. Right. And people who are not runners don't understand. I know that British tabloids rate her over the over the coals the next day, all the newspapers had headlines, big headlines, you know, Paula quitter, you know, oh, no. what they don't tell you, she came back and she was a marathon champion that same fall. But there mm. are times when you can't keep going, where you have to tell yourself the smarter thing is to be strong and say no and back off. But when you can accomplish it, even if it's hard, it's really hard on your body, that sense of accomplishment is worth to me and to so many people, all the effort that you put into it. Way beyond what's healthy, but something that, you know, spiritually is incredibly positive. And that's, and yet another lesson from the marathon is that radical honesty, right? Like being radically honest. Hon honest with yourself. And even if you're wrong, right? Just trusting yourself that you're gonna give it your honest effort and trusting yourself enough just to show up to the starting line and right. learn. And if you, drop out and you're like, I probably could have pushed a little harder or you're really disappointed. Right. That's you show up the next time you remember that and you push a little harder. Right. So there's Absolutely. always an opportunity to learn. And, you know, it is scary. There's, I mean, we all get pre-race nerves and all this stuff for all the reasons like, you know, not finishing or whatever. Um, but of course, in retrospect and hindsight, you can look back and be like, gosh, I'm glad that happened because if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have done this in the future and, uh, you know, learned, yes. learned this lesson. So, you know, I always try to encourage people like just show up and I know it's scary, yeah. but like, think of it as an opportunity to learn. And, um, no matter what happens, uh, you showed up and that's all you can do. Really. That's all you can do. Yeah. And I, I, I embrace that actually. I try and get my athletes to, to love that, you know, the, the nervousness is the same kind of thrill you get on the roller coaster, but that's different than real fear, right? So I tell people, if you're not prepared for the marathon, if you're right. not done your training, yeah, you should be scared and you probably should not run. But if you've done all the hard work, you will still have those butterflies, but you know that all you have to do is implement what you've already trained your body to do. And even though you might be very nervous, you should enjoy that nervousness. It's the same yeah. kind of like thrill you get on the roller coaster in a scary movie where everything will be okay enjoy the adrenaline rush of just the ride right but as you yeah. say you know all you can really do at that point is show up and do the best you can and if yeah. you've done that then you've accomplished a great thing I've, I've had a number of athletes who've not met their goals but we've had long talks about this where they come to understand that as long as they did their very best right then they've done everything they've could so people often ask me so what are the races i'm most proud of of, of all the races i've done and surprisingly, it's not really my PR race. I mean, I'm very happy with it. I'm glad I got the time that I did. But the races I'm actually proud of are the ones that I struggled with. And I had to fight through it. And I had yeah. to persevere. Because those are the ones where you really show character. On that great day when I did my best ever, well, you know, it was hard, but it didn't feel that hard. I showed up and I just ran my tail off and I had a nice time. But I never felt that deep feeling of, of almost, I don't want to say despair,
bit of doubt and anxiety and contemplating the worst that could happen when I'm out there. And those yes. days when I fight through that and make it to finish line, those are the great days. And even if I didn't make it to finish line, the fact that I give it everything I had, that's what's important. Because as you know, there's nothing magical about 26.2. The distance is a stupid historic quirk. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything, right? So yeah. if the distance doesn't matter and the time doesn't particularly matter, then what really matters is just what you give of yourself. And if you've right. done that, you've got nothing more you can ask for. And to keep in mind that the training is really a majority of this oh, process. Yes. Yes. I mean, <laughs> yeah. those hundreds of miles and hundred that you're putting in for the training, think of all that work. Like it doesn't get erased just because whatever happens in the right. race. That's where the real work and where the real pride like comes in. Like exactly. you woke up on those Saturday mornings, you did those track work. Like, I think if, if I like just personally would show a little bit more self-compassion about like <laughs> how much work you put into it and not so much on the one race, like right. you got to think about that and put it into perspective. I, it's hard though. I mean, I get it. So it's hard to do. You work so hard. You want to you want the result, you want it on paper, you want to see it, you want to see your hard work, like, you know, right. come to fruition. But um, but, but that's one know, of the mental toughness thing, you got to work on that. Exactly. And you also have to recognize, though, that there'll be another day. You know, I, I tell the story about my very first marathon attempt. So this was 1987. God, it's shocking to me to say that how long ago that was, it sneaks up on you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I prepared for the race. And I got all my long runs in. We're just a couple of weeks out from the race now. I'm feeling really good and really prepared for my very first marathon ever. This is my one big chance to achieve this dream. And I went for a run with uh, with my roommate at the time. and went to Rock Creek Park on these dirt trails here in D.C. And I stepped on a rock and twisted my ankle. Oh. And then I kept running on it, thinking, oh, I'll just shake it off. And that never works out. And <laughs> so, you know, by the end of the day, I was in the hospital with, you know, getting fitted for crutches and I was going to be off from running. And yeah. I was devastated, devastated yeah. because of course I wasn't going to be able to run my race. And this is right. going to be my one and only chance to run the marathon. <laughs> and now of course I look back and I tell people, and that was 196 marathons ago. So right. there's another day. And you have to yeah. be smart to know if this isn't your day, don't literally kill yourself over it. You'll have another chance because as you said earlier, there's redemption in running and you will have a chance like Paula Radcliffe who had to drop out of on the biggest stage in running came back to win, you know, another race. I think the New York City Marathon that year in the fall. So but I'll tell you this. Um, this is interesting to me. Interesting that when I've been off from running because of an injury, what I miss is not the racing so much. And maybe you've had this experience. I miss the training. Like you said, having the camaraderie with, you know, your friends and different communities you run with, um, even being out by myself, but I don't miss the race day as much as I thought I would. I miss just being able to get together with a friend to go for a run. I miss wake up on a beautiful morning and, you know, tying on my running shoes and getting out there. So with my running class at GW, one of the routes I take them on, and I try and bring them out to explore the city as we run. It's as much of a, a sightseeing class in a way <laughs> as a running class, right? That's awesome. So, one of the, the uh, routes that I have us do after we've progressed a little bit through the class is going up here up Mass Massachusetts Avenue in DC. And that's yeah. Embassy Row for people who know DC and are familiar with it. When you run you know, north, northwest um, up Mass Avenue, you'll pass the uh, 
the British uh, embassy on the left. And on your right there, backing onto a park, onto this big, you know, uh, wooded area, is a small memorial to the Lebanese poet Khalil Gibran. And so I always bring my, my class over there. There's a tiny little stone footbridge, and then you go into this circular seating area, and there's a little sculpture, a bas-relief sculpture of the poet Khalil Gibran, and then engravings of some of his, his poetry. And I bring my, my running students over to this one particular phrase, and the phrase, if I get it quite right, is don't you know that spirits in the ether envy man his pain? And I have them think about that for a minute. Spirits in the ether envy man his pain. And I ask them, this is not a poetry class, but what do you think, you know, that might mean? And usually they kind of understand generally that, you know, that to be alive and to feel joy and pain is better than not to feel anything. Oh, uh, yeah. And then applying that to running. So even right. on our worst days, where you feel like you're really dragging and you're miserable and your legs are filled with lead and you just laughing. <laughs> We've all had days like that. At least we're alive and moving and able to run. And it's that that I miss, you yeah. know, when I'm injured. So yeah. even just being able to get out there on your most miserable, lackluster day is better than not being able to at all. And I think it's important that we all keep that in mind because as we pursue our goals, it's easy to take a lot of this for granted. And mm -hmm. especially as we get older and we've had different injuries, you learn that every run is special. Every run, even the most miserable run is an amazing thing. That is, a, that's a very good reminder, actually. Um, what, <laughs> so I, I was thinking about when you were talking about your first marathon and you were close to it or whatever, and then my brain just went to, I wonder how he feels about the taper. Cause I feel like we all feel differently about that taper time. Is that a time that you struggle with or do you love the taper? Not like really. I personally love it. Yeah, I love it actually. Um, you know, it's um, to me, it's kind of like fun. I really fight against the urge to do more than I should. And that's when you have to be disciplined, right? Because if you keep in mind, you know, the physiological tools that we all work under, you need at least, uh, apparently, you know, the studies have indicated a two-week window to have your body change one way or the other, to either atrophy or hypertrophy, right? To either improve or to lose fitness. So in that two to three weeks after your marathon training is done, you're not going to lose any fitness. And at the same time, there's nothing you can change at this point. There's not enough time for your body to respond to any stimulus with any kind of adaptation. So any speed work, any long runs, it's only going to wear you out because you do not have the time to improve, right? right. So you really have to be disciplined to just back off and just enjoy the moment during the taper. We cut mileage, but we could still work on speed, much shorter speed sessions, but just to Maintain that, maintain that neuromuscular firing to get yeah. that leg, you know, muscle memory and keep it intact. But you can't really do anything to improve. If you haven't done your work already, it's too late to do anything. And to me, that becomes part of almost like the marathon celebration that mm -hmm. all the hard work is done now, right? Now you can just kind of like sit back and do a few short, fast runs and just kind of enjoy it and start visualizing Yep. and start getting excited about the day that's about to come up. But mm -hmm. I'm, I'm reminded too of, uh, of a moment I had when I was um, early on when I went to Chicago Marathon to run the race with some friends of mine. And there was a guy who was with our group and uh, he was just faster than me. He's just, he was just a better runner. And the night before the race, he decided to go out for like a five or six mile run. And I was, I was flabbergasted. Why would you do this? And he insisted, no, no, it's fine. I'm going to be fine. I need to do this. 
And then the next day I passed him in, you know, in the late stages of the marathon. I shouldn't have been anywhere near him. He should have been so far ahead of me. And as I passed him, I thought, you know, that six miles just wrecked you in terms yeah. of your potential. And if he could have been disciplined enough to not run, he would have had such a better race. So discipline means not just getting up and running on days when you should run. It also means not running on days right. when you really should not run. And you get right. a lot of runners who are disciplined enough to run, but not disciplined enough to not run. That's a six. That's yeah. We are crazy. That's it. Like, just think about saying that, right? Like, the, yeah. the word special kind of crazy. Yeah, that's right. But <laughs> that ties with so many things about my rule of not running through through injury and pain. That never goes well. You know, right. one of the big lessons I've learned, and it sounds so simple, but it took me such a long time to learn, is you cannot bully your body. It never mm -hmm. works. Never works out. If you think about your body being a good friend of yours, it will be there for you and help you do whatever you want to do, help you accomplish your goals. It will support you if you treat it well and you treat it like a friend who you love, right? Right. But if you bully your body and you just punish it, it's going to rebel and you uh -huh. will never win that battle. You will never win that battle. So I need runners to understand at the very beginning, among the, among the bad messages I give them when we start, the first <laughs> one being that you'll get older, crap, and die, right? Okay. <laughs> and then the other lesson I tell them, the other thing is that you will get injured as a runner. That's going to happen. That will inevitably happen. And it's hard for a lot of people to accept because they think I'm embarking now on this very healthy thing. I'm learning how to run. Why do I have to worry about getting hurt? Because you will. And right. your body sometimes will be pushed a little bit too far. You will push your body a little bit too far. Something will happen and you'll get hurt. That's not the thing to worry about. That's okay. What you have to worry about is not responding correctly to that moment. Mm -hmm. right? So if you're smart about it, you will back off as soon as your body tells you, I don't like this. And you will not bully your body into pushing ahead. Like for example, for me, that story of my very first marathon, if I had stopped as soon as I twisted my ankle and I said, oh, I'm going to take this home and I'm going to ice it and wrap it and elevate it, do all the things I'm supposed to do and cross my fingers. And maybe if I give it, you know, loving, tender care, it will be okay. Instead, I bullied it. And mm -hmm. I said, shake it off. Keep running. You'll, you'll be yeah. fine. Shake it off. And my body gave up on me. So if you can be disciplined enough to not bully your body and not push it when it should be pushed, especially during the taper period, you'll get so much more from it because your body wants to give you what you want. You know, it yeah. wants to help you achieve those goals. But you got to work with it. I love that. Don't, don't bully your body or or anybody i should say but especially your own yeah, especially body. your own body no that's such a good point uh, it's a, and it's a quick little like thought um so we i don't we didn't really talk much about you that these books you wrote um is, is it two or three i mean i have the quick strength for runners and then the smart marathon training do you have another book i've actually i've got two more so two my more. very first book was kind of a running memoir uh, called okay. 100 Marathons, or my first 100 Marathons. The, the paperback version is 100 Marathons. The, the original hardcover edition was my first 100 Marathons. Um, it's actually out of print, but you can still find copies online. I think on Amazon, definitely on eBay. Yeah. Um, and it started out because I was, I was so lucky to go run in all these amazing places all around the world. I was uh, a coach of a charity marathon team, and we would travel all over the world. And then I got to just do a lot of my own training and travel all over the place. And I would write these long stories for a magazine that used to exist, which unfortunately doesn't anymore, called Marathon and Beyond, which was a quarterly journal that would publish these long format articles. 
I remember first time I approached him about writing an article about actually my trip to Antarctica to run a marathon. Oh, cool. I asked, literally cool. I asked, um, <laughs> you know, how how long does it need to be? And he, I was told as long as you need to make it. So you could write these really long, detailed articles. And for some of these journeys, that's exactly what you needed. So I collected these articles and then I presented a, a book, basically turning into a memoir with a thread running through it. Why do we do these things? And I kept returning to it. And the idea that maybe we run for the attention, people have suggested that to me. And no, you don't run for attention because for all that yelling you might get on race day, like you said earlier, no one cheers you when you're out there running by yourself in all those training runs, right? And then the day after marathons are over, no one really cares. You know, you're still limping around, but no one cares anymore. So we don't do it for the attention. You know, well, we do it to be healthy. Well, like you and I just talked about, no, you know, no. if you run like 20 miles a week, that's all you need for health. That will right. do that. You can run four miles a day and you will be stellar and get all the benefits of running. So it's something more than that. And for me, as I explained in the book, it's really that, that belief in yourself that you could persevere, that when mm -hmm. things are hard, you can keep going. You know, I, I talk about this. We are the tribe that, that, um, that doesn't say no, right? That we could keep going. Whenever, you know, we feel like we can't do something, remember that if I just keep pushing ahead, Right. I'll get there. So that was the first book. And then the uh, ones you mentioned, Quick Strength for Running, Smart Marathon Training was my first training book, explaining okay. how I could do all these races. People are very curious about how could you keep your body healthy with all this running. And I was doing basically like a marathon a month, which for a lot of people is unheard of. And sometimes yeah. even more frequently, I could do a marathon every two weeks for a stretch of time. Um, and then coming full circle on this, my, my most recent training book, was called Ageless Strength, um, which is really about maintaining your fitness as you get older and how important that is and the kind of training you need to do to support your activities as your body changes around you. So. Oh, I need that one. Jeez. Yes. I have so many questions. Okay. So. Fire away. Okay. Oh my God. I don't know where to start. Okay. So <laughs> you were an attorney and then you then when did you start writing books like what like okay you were an attorney and then you you started when did you transition to like writing books and like making running your full-time career well, about halfway through my career as an attorney i was an attorney for about 20 years um i really started to pursue my passion for um for running and i was doing coaching on the side you know unrelated to my legal career i enjoyed doing that i'd started running in, in law school so it had been there alone, but then I started getting more and more involved in it. And I want to share that. Um, you talked about the sharing that we as coaches feel and how you want to present this to, to new clients and people who aren't familiar with running it and the joy you can get from it. I, would, I tend to think by analogy. That's just the way my brain works. So for me, the analogy is running is like a, a gift that you've gotten on Christmas morning, right? And what do you want to do when you've gotten the coolest gift? You want to like immediately show it to your friends, right? Look what I look what I just got. Look what I just got. And then you want them to share. It's like, check this out. You know, play with it. It's the coolest thing. Check this out. Look how it works. You know, and I feel that way about my running that, you know, once you see the joy you get from it and what you could accomplish, you want other people to be able to, to get the same kind of joy from it. You want to share that feeling and that joy that you get. And you get that from coaching. So I started doing that when I was already still an attorney. So I would say, you know, we're talking about like, oh, in the 90s now, you know, and the aughts that I started 
pursuing that more and more and more and finally decided to make that leap. Now I'd started writing about it a little bit earlier, mostly articles. I uh, edited a, a sports magazine for a while that is now defunct. Goodness, I never thought about it. I hope I'm not like the grim reaper of, of writing. <laughs> you know, the magazines I write for, you know, tend to be wonder. I hope not because of me. Um, I think write, writing in uh, newspapers are kind of yeah, that's that's thing. That. I love yeah. the written word. You know, I'm a voracious reader. Yeah. It sounds like uh, you are as well. And um, and I like books. I don't really trust, you know, electronic books. I know a lot of people love them, and that's all fine. I like a book, you know, too, a yeah. physical book. Yeah, um, so I started doing a lot of writing, and then I had this idea of like taking all these stories. This is always in the back of my mind as I wrote these articles about these great, you know, trips I did, and string it together into one big narrative. So I, by that point, I run a lot of really wonderful races all around the world. So I'd run like the Comrades Ultra Marathon in South Africa. I did that one too? Yeah, I've been, I've been very lucky. Oh. Um, you know, the Athens Marathon, retracing the ancient route, you know. So I've, I've had a great, great time. I've run an ultra marathon in Egypt and all over the place. So um, at least one marathon in every state and every continent except South America. I need to get to South America. Yeah, um, what? So I wanted to share all these stories, but the way I told the stories was not to just give what I call like a typical runner story, which I have to say I, I really don't like. The typical runner story is, boy, this is so hard, and I didn't think I could do it, and then I did, and wow, that's really good for me. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's great, but you know, after a while, hearing about someone else's, you know, journey to the marathon is not so special because we all have our own journeys. So what I want to do is take the readers along on this exotic journey. Like, what was it like running like the Comrades Ultra Marathon in South Africa, this old, historic, wonderful marathon? Yeah. What was it like to run on a glacier in Antarctica? You know, it's not just about me. It's about the journey, the, the trip that, you know, anyone else could partake in and why this race is special. So, you know, I put that book together and it was, it was pretty popular. It got a lot of really great reviews. And then people started wondering more about, well, how do you do this without getting hurt? And as I mentioned, that's when I started writing training books. So Smart Marathon Training came out shortly after where I explained the combination of cross training and core strength work and balance work that will enable, enable you to be a healthier runner. And then after that, I realized that so many runners don't really feel comfort, comfortable and confident in the weight room. Okay. Now, mm -hmm. with my own athletic history, as I mentioned briefly earlier, I was more into weightlifting when I was a teenager back in New York. And so I was very comfortable with those routines and I come, came to understand how that translated into being a runner. And I knew that any kind of fitness contributes overall to your health and will support whatever you do, whatever the focus ends up being. As a runner, you focus it on running, but you still need that overall base of health. So I continued to do weightlifting um, and it was something I enjoyed, but I saw a lot of runners really didn't know what to do. So I wrote that book, Quick Strength of Runners, which became, you know, one of my, my biggest sellers. It sold to date, I think, some 19,000 copies, which for like a niche book is astonishing to me. I mean, that's so far beyond my friends and family that I can't wrap my head around. I said, if I sell a dozen copies, that'd be great. Um, and I've been lucky enough to get a lot of really wonderful messages from people about how they were able to achieve their goals by implementing, you know, some of the strategies. And then continuing on with that thread, you know, expanding the things that I've learned um, on this whole long journey came out with Age of Strength. Um, and it, it's funny how each of those books builds on what I wrote earlier. And it makes me remember an old line about coaching. And maybe you've heard this already. If not, you know, you're sure to live it as well. They say that every good coach is a little bit embarrassed about what they used to say 10 years ago. 
<laughs> okay. So you need to grow and you need to learn and you need to change. And certainly I've tried to do that my journey and then share what I've I've learned with people. Yeah, and that that is perfect because that was one of my questions was um, I knew that you had written these books and it was a while ago. And so I wanted to know like, how has your perspective changed over the years? And then what has been reinforced over the years? So do you have like one or two things that your has changed for you? Oh goodness, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, originally when I took that strength training, a lot of it was more the traditional weightlifting training that I grew up with. You know, more like the uh, the bodybuilding weightlifting format, where it's heavy on traditional movements like chest press, you know, um, dumbbell rows, some deadlifts, and all those are, are wonderful squats. These are all really good exercises. Um, working on machines, working with cables. As I progress, I realize that mostly for running and really for life in general in order to achieve functionality which really should be the goal beyond just developing big muscles you know right. we want that but the goal should be functionality to be able to go out there out in the real world and do the things that we want to do that requires really good core strength and flexibility and balance and that's something that i've transitioned to so i've got certain key rules that i, I share in these books about what we need to do whenever you take an exercise I, um, I have a phrase, I guess I, I invented a word, um, that, that is uh, ambitionalized, that you should ambitionalize your exercises. So if you do something, you should ask, how could I make this harder? Once I've, oh. I've mastered it, how could I challenge myself more? So one of the things I talk about is the big, hairy, big 500-pound gorilla in the room goal that we have in, in running. And I think there's such an interesting, elegant phrase that I make my athletes actually write it on their mirrors that they look at it you know, every morning. So our goal in training, right? And here it is, are you, are you ready for this? Okay. I'm writing it, I got a pencil. Here we go, here we go. Okay, so what we do is we try to engage our brain in problem solving in order to enhance our sense of kinesthetic ability, okay? So engage your brain in problem solving in order to enhance your, your kinesthetic sense, okay? So you break that down. So what does that mean? So our right. kinesthetic sense is your body's ability to regulate itself in space. Kinesiology is a study of body movement, right? So your kinesthetic sense is simply your, your ability to do things like rub your belly and pat your head, stand on one foot, run, for example, right? All these things require some, what we used to call muscle memory, neuromuscular connections, your, your brain's ability to activate a specific neuron to activate a specific muscle cell to trigger a specific contraction and movement. Okay? And within that is your body's sense of proprioception, which is your body's awareness of its place in space. Right? right. So when you stand on one foot, your body has to regulate what's going on. And you don't think consciously about it. Your brain does it automatically. Again, kind of like your good friend who's sitting there with you, keeping you steady. Okay. So once you do an exercise, right? You should think of a way to make that exercise more challenging so it engages your brain in trying to figure out how do I do this? Mm -hmm. So if you're standing with weights, try standing on one foot or mm -hmm. try standing with your eyes closed or stand on a BOSU, if you know what that apparatus is, that, yep. that inflated half dome. Something to make your brain say, huh, mm. how am I supposed to do this? And I could literally see my clients working through it. It takes them a couple of moments. Some do it quickly, some take a couple of sessions. But there'll come a point, and it's brilliant, where their brain will suddenly like kick in, right? 
and it will say, oh, I got it. And all of a sudden the wobbling stops and they know how to move and the movement becomes smooth. And then it's stored, right? So you create a library of this kinesthetic sense and it's there for you whenever you need it, right? So that library, when you add it all up, this is functionality. This is athleticism, right? right? That you train yourself to be able to move to run. We've all done that when we were little children. But then, you know, we have to train our bodies to do all these different things, right? So yeah. I mentioned earlier that, you know, I think by analogy, so this is the way I look at it, that your body, your brain is like a city, right? And you have neurons going to all these individual muscles all through your body, just like the city has all these roads and avenues going all through the city, all these streets coming every, you know, every square, you know, block of the city. Now, for most of us, we don't go down every single street, right? We have our certain regular go-tos. I'll go down this avenue to get to this store, and I'll go down that avenue to get to school or, you know, wherever I need to go. Right. And we do that again and again and again. We probably all have that experience, but sometimes you hardly even have to think about it. Also, yeah. you're sitting back in front of your house, right? Right, right. What we try to do with these exercises is take your brain on a street it doesn't know, right? Try to yeah. take your brain as many different streets as possible. And eventually, if you did that, you would get to know the whole city and you would know it so well. So if you do that with your brain and your movements, your brain then would have such a vast library of movement that anything you asked it to do, it would go, ah, I know how to do this. Stand one foot and twist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know this one. I know this one. And then your brain will pull that one off the shelf and it will, you know, plug it right in and you'll get that movement. And that's functionality. Yeah. So I do an exercise with my clients, diagonal swings. I think it's in um, one of my books, either with weights or tables. You could do it either way, where you swing the weight diagonally, both hands holding one weight diagonally up and across. And yeah. it activates so many different muscle groups. It forces your body to move in a way that maybe it's not totally comfortable with. But if you do it successfully, it becomes imprinted. And then I remember one year when we had snow here in DC, we didn't have any snow this year and it was so sad. I know. I miss, so, I miss snow. <laughs> I hope it's not a permanent thing, but I fear that, well, I know we're just another discussion. But <laughs> one year I we had a, a kind of big snow and I'm out there shoveling snow and it felt good. Like my, oh my God. enjoying it. And it suddenly occurred to me, of course, because it's been preparing for this yeah. moment and it plugged that right in. So. Yeah. The idea is that if you do the same exercises over and over and over, sure, that's better than not doing anything. But if you continue to challenge yourself by doing things a little bit differently, try and create instability within the exercise, mm -hmm. force your body to balance. Try and make things more complex, maybe adding a squat to some kind of standing movement, right? Something yes. that will make your brain expand its efforts and then create that new page in your library of kinesthetic sense. This creates healthier, stronger athletes reducing the risk of injury and makes us healthier for everything, including running. So yeah. this is the way my strength training has changed over the years and also indicates to me the importance of making sure you do strength training as a runner. And that's that's tough. You probably have this hill to climb with your clients too, I would think. That runners love to run and I get that. But the problem is that if all you do is run, you leave gaps in your fitness, right? You have to do you have to do a thing to get better. That's called specificity of movement, right? But if all you do is that one thing, then you leave these holes. And also, you know, you create the possibility for overuse injuries. Mm -hmm. So I really, really try and convince my clients to even spend a little time working on core strength, working on balance, working on some kind of resistance training to build, you know, that, that insurance against injury. And that's really what it is. If you have this core of strength, 
that you can rely on that will protect you like insurance, you know, protects your house and your car, your family. It will protect you against the bad days, which is when, you know, you might be faced with an injury. You will come back more quickly and maybe you'll even avoid it altogether in the first place. That's the challenge. Now, when you um, are advising clients, how often are you like, are you advising them, you know, 15 minutes every day or twice a week or does it matter? Is, I mean, is there a is there a, a rule that you Wow, that's a great question. So for, for people who have not worked for uh, with a coach, if maybe there's some people listening to your podcast, you're thinking about it, getting coach using your services. It's really important for people to understand that it's not really a one size fits all, you know, kind of arrangement. That really depends on the client's needs. So I have a whole range of clients. People ask me sometimes, how many clients do you have? I'm like, it's hard to say, you know, at any given moment, who do I include? Do I include the client who shows up every six months and wants kind of like, you know, an, an overview of things that need to be changed in their routine? Do I count only the clients I meet every week? Only the clients I meet a couple of times a week? Only the clients I meet during like racing season? You right. know, so we get a whole range of people and that depends on the client's needs which requires clients to be really honest with themselves. Great. So there's some clients who I know and I trust will do what I recommend that they do and they'll at least try it and work through it and see how it works for them. And I can give them a plan and send them off and they'll do their thing and they'll come back to me as required. There are other clients I would not trust, you know, for more than five minutes on their own, you know, <laughs> and they know this and they agree. I need to be with them for every work that they do, you know, maybe even on their runs that they just need that. And there's nothing wrong with that because it's still showing the dedication, but they know they're not the kind of people that, you know, will be self-motivated to get out there. And that's okay. So I tell people, you have to decide for yourself. But when I work with a client, usually I try and schedule at least, you know, three to four sessions in the very beginning to explore these concepts, mm -hmm. get a, a foundation of exercises together that they can master and move forward and get the rudiments of their program together. Then if they feel comfortable, they can go off on their own and do these things. But many times they feel that they want to continue to use my services to get variety in their routines, to tap into my knowledge base and my experience base and use that to, to get better. And sometimes these things change over time, you know, that you have a client who wants to meet like every workout, then they go off on their own for a while, then they come back again. Yeah. Um, so they have to kind of decide really what works for them. And you just, your job is basically to just, help them think it through and see what the best path for them would be. And, and I think it's okay, like for my clients to go try another coach, because I think you should try and see what styles work for you. And maybe a style will work for you for a while. And then you, you need a change. And um, so I never, I never feel like offended if people want to go try this or try that or absolutely. There's so many different ways to do the same thing, right? There's so many ways to get to the finish line. Right. Um, you really have to, and, and one thing that worked for you, gosh, the things that worked for me 10 years ago are not going to be the same things. You know, the mileage I did then is not going to be the same mileage I'm right. doing now. I want two rest days now. It's you know? so, so true. And it's so fascinating to me. There's a, a really interesting book out there called The Sports Gene, I think by David Epstein. Um, oh, I think I've heard of that. Yeah. And it's so fascinating because um, he talks about how when we solved the human genome some years ago, people have this expectation that now that we know the whole genetic foundation for all of our bodily functions, it'll be very easy to come up with answers for training, for developing speed, developing strength, because all we have to do is like flip the switch on a couple of these genes and boom, there we go. And what they discovered instead is that actually there's a wide variety of genes that could take people to the same finish line. So mm -hmm. in other words, um, the, 
characteristic of speed is actually triggered by, I think it was 23 different genes. And people had them in, you know, different combinations, which means to get to that same level of speed, different athletes may need different training techniques because they would have to innovate different genes. They would have to trigger uh -huh. these different genes. They didn't all share the same genes. And I think you talked about um, the great uh, Myler, and, and he was a congressman later, Jim Ryan. He was, uh, I think, the, the youngest, uh, the first high school Myler to break four minutes. And I think he, uh -huh. I think he ran the Olympics, maybe. Um, I need to double check that. But they talked that when he was running, it was a, a friend of his who was on the track team who had to have a completely different program to thrive. And the other runner was kind of jealous because Jim Ryan didn't seem to have to run as much as he did. Yeah. But that was Jim Ryan's physiology was different. And for right. him to thrive, he needed a different routine. What this means for us is that, you know, there are a lot of different paths, like you said, to get to a certain goal, you know, physical fitness and, and, uh, and racing goal. And you have to see what works with your body. You know, if I was submitting myself to like an exercise physio physiology lab, maybe I would do a muscle biopsy and I'd see how many quick twitch fibers I have in relation to my slow twitch fibers and my mitochondrial density and my VO2 max. And maybe you or, or some of your listeners have had some of this testing done, but it would give me a little bit more of an insight into my own individual physiology. But the truth is I figured out by my training and I know mm -hmm. what my body responds to, and I know what tends not to respond to. Now, I'm the kind of runner that does not thrive with very high mileage running. I, I tried that for a little while and it just did not work for me. And I know it doesn't work for a lot of people yes. because you know the numbers on injuries just skyrocket when you go above like 35 miles per week. So I knew it had to be more about quality and cross training and a lot of different elements for me to have a chance of thriving. But as a coach, you know, you try and figure out all these different things. And like you said, sometimes you need a different coach with a different kind of viewpoint to bring an athlete along to, you know, get them to achieve. But I, I will add one caveat for you with that. And I would, I would encourage this with your listeners, that if you're going to try coaching, whether you're self-coaching and trying to program that you read in a book or you're working with a, a coach, you know, one-on-one -on -one in person, that you at least give it a chance. I've seen yeah. people who they just switch methods so quickly, they don't actually get a chance to see whether it really works for them or not. So I say, pick like a method, pick a coach, pick a style for a season. Yeah. After your season, after you've gone through whatever races you were aiming for, do an evaluation to see how it works for you. But if you change up seemingly every other week, and I've seen a lot of athletes do this, unfortunately, you can't really figure out what's going on. You know? Yeah, you didn't give it a chance to work yet. That makes right. a lot of sense. Yeah, you definitely you need to give it a you definitely need to give it a chance, and you need to um, really have I think a clear picture of what's not working and and why before you start like exploring other things. So you have to have that time to figure some of that out. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and I and I think it's such a good point because. You know, your book, The Smart Marathon Training, is based on uh, three days a week running, right? It's three right. days a week running and cross training and yeah. then strength, strength work That's in there. So it's it's a variety of things. And, you know, I, I can see people being like, oh, you can't do it. Well, oh, Nikki, like, this is hilarious. I actually yeah. gave me like an in-person uh, presentation at a, a Marathon Expo once. I'm standing there on this stage talking. And there's a woman sitting in the front row just shaking her head, no, no, no. <laughs> I, was, I was laughing. I'm like, oh, let's talk about it, you know. And for me, you know, why to get her to understand is I'm not talking about like three days a week running. That's that's it. You know, 
when people ask what my mileage is, I say, actually, for me and my training method and the method I, I recommend for a lot of my clients, think more about time spent training, right? So if you add up all the hours, you know, every week that I spend running and cycling and doing yoga and Pilates and strength work and foam rolling and stretching and all these things that now you understand this is a pretty robust program. Right. right. But the diversity, you know, we like to say culturally there's strength and diversity, but with your body, absolutely true. That yes. the more variety of things you do, the more your body will thrive and the more injury resistant you'll you'll become. But like you said, you know, you got to give it a chance and you got to trust the coach too. Yeah. I mean, and there, there are coaches that are my, they're like more mileage is better. The more mileage, the better. And I think everybody has their different perspective. And I think a lot of it probably has to do with our own past experience, but why not give yeah. it a shot? I mean, I, I'm looking at your program. I'm like, that sounds great. I would love yeah. to like have some variety and it makes a lot of sense to me. It's not, you're not, you're still getting fit. You're just well-rounded. Yeah. I think it makes a whole lot of sense and why not give it a try? I mean, if you're not scared of failing, like and why, I mean, like you said, there's always another race. Why would you be, why not try something different? Like, I think that's, I think you like, I, and I feel like I just keep saying this, but I think you have to go into all of this with a sense of curiosity and like fun and like exploration and like, let's yeah. just see, let's see. Yeah. Let's, let's see. Well, I love that. It's fun just talking shop with you. I hope this yeah. is good for your listeners because you get oh, a couple of coaches together and you know, yeah. boom, you know, to, um, <laughs> To kind of like steal a joke about, you know, about lawyers, you know, you throw a couple of coaches in a room, you come out with two coaches, you come out with four different training plans, right? <laughs> so we, we keep like coming up with different ideas, but I think that's absolutely right, you know, because if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, it gets stale. And yeah. you know, people think that I love running and I do, but I get bored with different things. I get bored of the same routine. And what I've discovered over the years is that boredom is on the spectrum with injury. That if you're bored mm -hmm. and you're uninspired, your body's telling you that I'm not really enjoying this anymore. And then if you keep pushing that again, bullying your body, right? If you keep pushing an uninspired body, eventually it will break down. Every time I've been bored and uninspired in training, it's led to some kind of injury. So for me, trying to keep things interesting is really not just like a good thing physically, you know, but mentally important as well. But physically, it keeps me from, from being injured. Um, and it's not that hard to do. When I mention all these things I do every week, people start rolling their eyes like, I don't have the time for that. But if you're very organized and you actually map it all out, it becomes very efficient. You just have to think about what I need to do and you end up not wasting time on things that are not very productive for you. So I tell my clients, you know, if I run into you on the street and you're in the middle of a run and I ask you what you're doing, you should have an answer for me, right? If right. you have a goal, you should be able to articulate whatever your workout is and why you're doing it, right? We talked earlier about, you know, if you're the kind of, of client who can go off on their own and be self-motivated, this is a perfect example of, of how a client like that would implement a program. The client should be able to tell me exactly what they're doing and why. Well, today is, you know, my recovery run. I did speed work yesterday, so I'm keeping it a short, easy three-mile run just to shake out my legs. And tomorrow I'm going to do cross-training, getting ready for my long run this weekend, building towards my goal of, the army 10 miler in October. That's great. But if you have a goal and you can't tell me how the workout you're doing is fitting into your plan, I don't see why you're doing it, right? That you should be able to articulate why you're doing what you're doing in order to get to the goal that you want to do. Yep. So if you become organized in this way, if you map out everything that you need to do, you may find that actually it frees up more time because everything is structured and pointed. You're not just going out randomly to run around and do different things. <laughs> Dude, I'm like, 
I mean, in every other aspect of my life, I am the kind of person that is absolutely winging things that should not be <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm winging That's it. so funny, right? But, yeah, I totally understand. But with running, but with especially running. a marathon, you cannot wing it. And when yeah. we were talking about race nerds and stuff earlier, it's so funny to me that the people who didn't really train, who were like, oh, I ran six miles, like was my longest run. They're like the least nervous at the right. starting line. <laughs> yeah. like, and it's all of us that have trained and are we're like ready and like and we're standing there, we're like nervous. And this guy's like he ran their girl or whatever ran six miles and that's their longest run. They're they're not, they're just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. So what would you tell someone like that? I've actually had these moments. What do you say to someone like that? To somebody who ran six miles and yeah. is at the starting line? Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> I mean, it, right? what are you gonna say? Like, it's too yeah. late now. Like, I know. I, I think people think if you go, if you go slow enough, and um, but marathon oh. you gotta respect it. You got, you really have to respect the distance, and if you don't, it'll. Oh, uh, it's so funny that you say that to me. That yeah. you know, it's about respect the the distance. That's yeah. so true. Um, yeah. And I don't like to take chances with it. To me, that shows a lack of respect for the race. But I will say this: that I'll never tell a client, you know, they cannot do something. What I will say, because you never know, right? I've seen those people who've done like a six mile training run finish the race and yeah. sometimes finish it feeling well and you don't know what's going on in their lives otherwise that maybe that a gift of uh, physiology, a gift of genetics enables them to do this. Maybe they're so very active that they have this base of fitness that's not really reflected in what they're doing when they're running, but it's there, right? You never know what you know a person can get through. But I will tell them what the odds are. Right. Right. So I'll say I'm not going to tell you not to do this, but in my experience and in my knowledge, someone with a six mile base cannot finish a marathon. Now, you may and you may be lucky, but chances are that you will not and you may actually get injured trying. So, yeah. you know, when people hear these these things, you know, especially if it's done early enough where they can make a change, usually they opt to be smart about it because you have to respect the distance. Right. right. You have yeah. to get out there and, and do that. Um, yeah. And, you know, it plays out in, in lots of different ways with this. You know, that once you set that goal and you get engaged in it, this is one of the things that you learn is how to, like, move forward, set goals, and do this. I was um, involved for a while with a, a youth program here that was using racing to help kids set goals, and they would be mentored by individual runners and their goal was to run the Cherry Blossom 10-miler here in D.C., which is coming up in a few weeks. And for people who are not familiar with it, it's one of the, so one of the premier 10-mile races mm -hmm. in the country. You have all these elite athletes show up because it's a great last race before you go to Boston, you know, in a, a few weeks after, um, for those who are doing the Boston Marathon. Yep. And also in D.C., if the Cherry Blossoms actually happen to be out that day, and we'll cross our fingers, fingers for this year, it's one of the most beautiful runs in the world. Yeah. But we train these kids. and try to get them to understand how the effort they put in the front end will help them achieve their goals in the back end. And then we bring them out there and they're surrounded by 10,000 other people who've done the very same thing that they have and understand what they've worked for and understand what they are trying to achieve. You could just see it on the kids' faces, open up like these doors and their understanding of what's going on. But the first step to that is respecting the race, respecting their bodies themselves, the process, and putting in the hard work. And that's what this is all about, really. Absolutely. That's awesome. I guess if you have a, like, do you have a favorite quote or, I mean, I know you mentioned the quote that you take your students on 
Um, but do you have a favorite quote or mantra or anything that, that you use that you can, you know? Yeah. And I, I still shamelessly, you know, you, you, no need to reinvent the wheel. If you hear a good thing, then you should go with it. So Dina Castro, you might mm -hmm. remember one of our, our great, great marathoners, uh, was a holder of the women's um, American uh, marathon record, I think for a long time, bronze medal, um, medalist in the, the marathon in the Olympics. I understand that her mantra was define yourself, define yourself. And I love that, just two words that really tell you really all you need to know about what you should be thinking about when things get tough. Not just right. in running, but maybe in life overall, but especially in running when you have those hard miles and you're really feeling that you like to pack it in. And there's no real reason to, other than that just you're tired and a little worn out and mentally you just can't focus anymore and you don't want to do this anymore. You know, you think about what kind of person are you, right? right. Are you the kind of person that would just quit when it gets tough, you know, when there's no real reason to? Now there are days like we've talked about where maybe you don't want to bully, bully your body and you need to stop. Right. But if you don't really need to stop, what kind of person are you? And to me, you know, not just the marathon, but really every day presents an opportunity to define who you are. You know, what kind of right. person are, do you want to be? And um, for me, just those two simple words help me get through the race. And, you know, I, I encourage all my clients um, and my students to, to define uh, themselves with different mantras, you know, to, to develop different mantras that will help them through different moments. So another one of mine is you've worked for this. When you've put in all the hard effort, you know it's in there and trust in your training, trust in your oh, yeah. trust in what you've achieved to carry you through. And if you believe in that and you know you've done the hard work on the back end, you can trust that you will get there. You just need to relax and believe in what you've achieved already and it will get you there. But I continue to work on these. So, you know, people should feel free to steal these from me as I've stolen them from other people. And um, hey, maybe they'll come back and tell us some of the ones that they've used that, that would work for them that might work for you and I as well. That's awesome. Trust your training is definitely one of my favorites that I love to see it like the starting line. But um, if you were to say, uh, maybe running will help, can you finish that sentence? Maybe running will help what? Oh, everything. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Really, um, you know, that running is, like I said, that friend that will always be there for you. So it's it's kind of like, you know, whipped cream on ice cream. You know, it's 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 never a bad thing, right? So if you're feeling depressed, you know, running clinically has been shown to elevate your mood, right? If you're feeling sluggish, you know, running will make you feel better. If you're stressed, running will help relieve that stress. If you're dealing with some really difficult life problems, running won't solve them, but will make you feel better about them. Maybe we give you clarity to help, you know, uh, figure out what you need to do about them. Yeah. You know, in the long term, running will keep us healthier, it will keep us happier. The number of things that running has been proven clinically to help us with is just extraordinary. Better hearing, better breathing, better sex life, all these things, I think having to do with really maybe just oxygenation, getting oxygen in our system, you know, more blood flow, but so many things, you know, running just makes life better, I think. <laughs> That's perfect. All right. And if people want to learn more about you or get in touch with you about your coaching or anything, where should they go? Well, you can just contact the man directly. So, um, my uh, email address, jeffrey.horowitz at msn.com. So that's J-E-F-F-R-E-Y. Sometimes people transpose the E and the R. It's R-E-Y dot H-O-R-O-W-I-T-Z at msn.com. And you can find my books online. Um, Velo Press, 
uh, was published and they got bought up by outside publishing uh, the mm -hmm. magazine. Um, yep. And I think they're winding down their book publishing, but I think the books are still available there and on Amazon. And as I said, you know, the older ones on eBay as well. Yeah, no, that's great. Definitely check them out. I'll include um, all the contact information in the show notes. Jeff, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. I look forward to staying in touch and uh, hopefully getting to DC to run together soon. And like good running people, you know, as you talked about at the very beginning, if we ever could be in the same place, let's go for a run together. Absolutely. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye. All right. Bye. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks to Jeffrey Horowitz for joining us. We hope you enjoyed our thoughts and we'll share this episode and our sport with those who need our community. Please remember to rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and be sure to come back next week for my conversation featuring one of my favorite running couples in Baltimore, DJ Impulse and the woman crushing miles and her hot girl era, Nora Rhodes. Until then, this is Nikki Tamburino. And don't forget to keep running, keep inspiring, and keep sharing how maybe running will help. Have a great run, everybody. Jap, you can't ignore it. I'm transforming now, these cars and planes. I'm always boarding. Just out touring down in Charlotte, like I play for Hornets. When I'm performing, never boring. Now you can't afford it. Champagne Perrier, finished friends on my face. Looking like I'm from the deep. These no Cartiers. Pockets deep, 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 bro. I can make it in my seat, bro. Do you and do me, bro. Overseas then, we gon' go, go, go Whoa, whoa, I press the button